2: Hello, everyone. Welcome. We are Bitches on Comics,
1: and I am Essie Fleenor, one of your hosts. I am Sarah Center, your other host, and I'm Christina Maldonado-Badhand. I guess I'm guest. Yes!
2: (laughs) Yes. We are super stoked to have Christina here, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. Christina Maldonado-Badhand is a Lakota, and Cherokee artist that hails from Taos, New Mexico. Her passion for community and social justice have led her to create, through illustration, a place in which youth, and particularly indigenous women, are empowered. She studied for four years at the Art Institute of Colorado and is an entrepreneur with big dreams. I can't wait to talk about these dreams. (laughs) Christina worked as a community liaison with Jeffco Indian Education, is the chief creative designer at Aya Studios LLC, I left part of it out. And co producer, I'm so sorry, of Indigenous Pop X, Denver's first Indigenous centric pop culture and comic art festival. Woo, 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 woo. Don't make me cheer for myself, people. I mean, you can. Oh. She is also a commissioner on the Denver American Indian Commission and remains strongly connected to local native and art communities. Give it up for Christina.
3: All right. I have um, just one, the biggest question, which I ask almost everybody who comes onto the podcast is, what was the first comic that you remember really hitting home for you? Like, what was the first one that you super
1: got into, clicked with, etc.? cetera? Uh, well, Elfquest was yes. a really big one for me. I actually didn't learn how to read until I was about 9, 10-ish. So comic books were really important to me because I could understand the story without having to be able to read the words. I was yeah. dyslexic. Um, Elfquest was awesome because it kind of felt like indigenous representation in a way that was in like comic books and I could relate to a lot of the characters uh, the first Elfquest book I picked up was actually wildly inappropriate for that yeah, <laughs> yeah I I was thinking
3: that just as you were saying it I was my mom used to read ElfQuest and it was one of our bonding things mm-hmm. and I uh, was like yeah ElfQuest how wholesome and they had those furry crop tops and then like there was all of those sexy times how old were you when you were reading
1: this? I was actually eight and we yeah. picked up the fourth one which is the orgy and the war book perfect So yeah that's the one everybody remembers yeah. I'm, I'm pretty like ElfQuest
2: did
3: you read the one, the yeah. orgy? yeah the orgy
2: yeah, I feel like that's really you know they probably left that for you they were like yeah third grader this seems appropriate enjoy this orgy
1: (laughs) well I actually um I went to a homeschool that the teacher she taught her kids and all these other kids in her house and she didn't quite know how to teach third graders yet so that's actually part of the reason why I didn't learn how to read until I was like in fourth grade but um so I ended up learning a lot about Shakespeare and all the stuff you learn in high school when I was in my third grade. So it was actually pretty inappropriate, some of the stuff we learned, because yeah. we saw the original Romeo and Juliet movie, and he stands up, and his butt is, like, right there for all (laughs) the world to see. And me and the other two third graders in her class just screamed and, like, (laughs) dived into the pillows. But um, The Elfquest book was actually one of the uh, older kids had it. So he was in, like, eighth, ninth grade, and he had the first four. And so then I brought home... He let me borrow one through four, and I brought it home for my siblings, and then they loved it, and it just kind of became a thing where we all... Started reading Elfquest. And then I loved Wolverine, because Wolverine (laughs) is (laughs) amazing. Also, because the first comic I picked up of his, actually, he battles Unchegula, which is a Lakota um, sea monster. And so I was like, this is awesome. It's being represented from my culture. And then he speaks Lakota and Japanese. And I was like, yeah, I fell in love with Wolverine from that point on. Yeah,
3: I was just thinking to you, really like uh, people with good hair. Because everybody in ElfQuest has really good hair. And then Wolverine, oh, <laughs> whoosh, the
1: best. <laughs> That's interesting. I never made that
3: connection
1: before. Sarah makes a lot of connections no one else has ever made before. <laughs>
3: I'm like, haircuts, right? That was it. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> That's what got me, too. Uh, you know, actually, now that you say that, though, it's kind of funny because my favorite characters, like anime wise, are always the ones that have like the poofy big hair. Like Vegeta, Hiei from Yu, Hakusho, Shoshomaru from Inuyasha. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, I think I might Inuyasha. have a thing for hair. It <laughs> well. happens to the best of us glad to
3: be here for this discovery um, <laughs> How did you, because uh, I saw that you had done a panel about, uh, like, ElfQuest, essentially mm-hmm. Like, was it this last year at Comic-Con? It was actually at Dink so, Oh, um, yeah, okay It was
1: Indigenous Knowledge and Social Justice in ElfQuest and I got to talk to Wendy and Richard Finney Which oh. was amazing I, yeah. like, I totally fangirled out and I, I luckily didn't do it on the panel, but all the all the volunteers thought I was super nervous when I was actually really excited because I was off in the corner bouncing in a circle. <laughs> and they were like, don't worry, you'll do great. And I was like, oh, I know. This isn't like nervous energy. This is excited energy. I trained for this moment so, my whole life. <laughs> exactly. And actually, we ran overtime. Um, uh, we didn't even get to all the questions that I had for them. We got maybe about almost halfway down the list and they had a lot of great things to say and it was it was awesome like it was probably my favorite panel that i've ever done and it was kind of such a big circle for me cuz as much as i loved that comic it was also um like i mentioned very big for my siblings and my brother has been kind of in and out of like being connected with him cuz he has a drug addiction mm-hmm. and so that being able to talk to those two was awesome cuz it was just like a whole full circle thing for me Yeah,
3: I was thinking, too, because they're, like, uh, two of the first independent creators I think I remember ever Mm -hmm. reading. Like, I, I grew up with a lot of superhero comics around and Archie Comics and, like, you know, really famous, like, you know, like... Uh, I'm trying to say like a corporate in a really nice way, but um, <laughs> but like you can't. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so it was just highly commercial. That, <laughs> <Yeah>. Highly, <laughs> so they were yeah highly commercial comics. And then you have um, ElfQuest, which is like they did it themselves. Like everything was uh, just, and even to this day is still published through them, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Psh, yeah, come no, on. it was it was awesome being able to talk to them. And then I think. Um, Because we talked so much about the indigenous themes they had, I found out a lot about Wendy and her kind of journey being adopted, and she always actually felt very welcomed in powwow scenes. And so being on a panel with somebody who was Native, she thought it was, like, awesome. So she actually gave me a hug at the end of the panel, and I was Mm. all, like... Total starstruck. I was like, this is amazing. I feel like what, what right. they were to you is like what you are to me.
2: I'm like, hi, is this weird? Is this too much eye contact? Like, I don't
1: know. I can't tell. That always kind of weirds me out these days now when people are like, oh, I'm geeking out. I'm like, over me? That's really strange. <laughs> Let's
2: get strange, right? <laughs> so I watched your video from I Am Denver the I Am Denver campaign where you talked about A Tale of Sand Creek Mm -hmm. which is the comic you made with pop culture classroom for (laughs) third graders telling Mm -hmm. the story of Sand Creek Man, I just decided we were going to go much darker very quickly. <laughs> yeah. So
1: that went tone from shift. major high yeah. to like,
2: like, oh, let's oh, get real serious. Let's right rip now. some wounds open. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, not that sorry. So I was just wondering, like, I wanted to hear about what the process of making that was like. I just was obsessed. I mean, the video, I was like, oh, start over, start over, start over, because you you have such an incredible perspective on framing the graphic novel for a, a young audience but also holding to account the what the
1: reality of what happened and I think that's a really hard balance to find. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was um so pop culture classroom came to me asking if I could do that comic um so I'm not Cheyenne and Arapaho and so that's actually kind of the hard part is whenever you get into those stories people are always feel like they should come from the tribe so what I ended up doing was I went to um, an elder in our community who I've known for most of my life Virginia Allrunner, Runner because um, she was actually her grandpa was a survivor of uh, Sand Creek so he's actually the baby in the comic that got put into the saddle bag and sent off on the horse and um, that story was like amazing so I wanted to interview her so I spent a few days with her and she pulled out like all of her uh she brought out her regalia and she kind of talked to me about all these different aspects that I could kind of put into the story and then when it came to actually illustrating the story I have um a good contact uh George Levi he's an awesome Cheyenne artist he does a lot of ledger art and so I, everything I was drawing, I was sending it to him like, is this good? Does this look good? <laughs> like, am I doing the right symbols here? Like, does, are you okay with this? And he was like, yeah, no, that's perfect. And so he had a lot of input on it as well. And um, it was interesting trying to condense the story into only like two pages, but I felt like to kind of stay true to that ledger art style, That is, it's ledger art is basically drawing on soldiers' ledger paper, so if you look at the comic, it's actually on old ledger paper, Um, and I wanted it to stay in two pages so that it wasn't like an overwhelming comic. It was more like an actual flat-out story, which is kind of more of a traditional way of storytelling. Amazing. Mm -hmm. And ledger is in traditional form as well, right? Ledger art? Yeah, it actually uh, started out on Buffalo Hide, but during wars and everything, then ledger paper became pretty popular, and there's... Like most of the ledger paper that myself and my husband have, there's like a hundred year old paper. (laughs) It's pretty cool actually. And some of it has like people's grocery lists and cash lists and stuff on it. Well, it's such a different medium to work with, right? Instead of having like a a blank canvas or a blank sheet of paper, Mm
2: -hmm. to be working on something so old and so personal to someone at some point Mm -hmm. feels like a
3: really incredible way to reclaim history.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool.
3: How did you get into working and being uh, involved in conventions?
1: Uh, I actually, so for Denver Comic Con the first year, I wasn't actually going to go. Um, I had been to anime cons before, so I'd been to Nanda's con and everything. But uh, I was working at Tokabe, American in, Indian Eatery, for a bit there, and uh, found out about Denver Comic Con and was like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. I don't know. Maybe I'll go. I've never actually been to a Comic Con. Yeah. And then I found out that Spike was going to be there. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, nope, I'm going. <laughs> I am going. We're making this happen. And the f- awesome thing about that was I actually got to meet him and show him a drawing I did of him. And uh, it was during a panel, I used my question to show him my drawing. Mm-hmm. And he had the camera zoom in on it and he like broadcasted it to the whole panel. So I left like ear to ear grin, <laughs> super excited after that panel. But um, is that the portrait on your website?
2: Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's so good. I feel like it's so real. I thought I would like cut myself on his cheekbone. And I was
1: like, <laughs> Spike. Yeah, his reaction to that picture was, like, my favorite of all time because he was like, oh, my God, I look beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, it was awesome to be able to meet him. But after that, um, I liked the Comic-Con feel and everything, and I kind of got curious as to how I could be involved. So the following year, I actually started volunteering um, and was in the kids' corral. That was crazy because that also <laughs> kind of put me on the path of doing education as well, because uh, I ended up in the kids' corral with 25 five-year-olds, all wanting to draw different superheroes, and my co-volunteer bailed on me. Perfect. (laughs) And so it was just me and all these kids, um, and I was there for a few hours and really, really had to pee. (laughs) So then finally got a chance to run away from the kids' corral. On my way to the bathroom, I actually walked by this booth that said uh, Native American Comics, and so I stopped and um, met Lee Francis with Indigenous native Narrative Collective there. And uh, he was like, yeah, we, we do native publishing comics and everything. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. I'm a native comic artist. And he's like, really? That's amazing, we want you. And I was like, great, I have to pee, and then I ran away. <laughs> and I came back later and showed him my portfolio and then started working with them doing um, illustration. And then for a short time there was editor-in-chief uh, of his, that little collective which then grew into Indigenous PopEx and Indigenous Comic-Con. And um, I kind of continued volunteering and doing the exhibitor thing through uh, Denver uh, Pop Culture Con now. And then also started working for Pop Culture Classroom right after that year. Amazing. So tell us about Indigenous PopX. Uh, so this, was, this past summer was the first year. Um, we probably are not doing it again this year because I actually walked away from the con mm. um, just because I actually want to do a little bit more, open it up a little more. What we kind of ended up with with Indigenous PopEx was a lot of people heard the name and they thought it was only for Natives. And that wasn't my intention at all. Um, I was looking at Indigenous as being more everybody. So I was hoping to use it more as a different type of convention where people could connect through their heritage and through different perspectives. Because when you have specialized Comic Cons like Indigenous Comic Con where everybody kind of comes and they all have the same opinion, you're not actually reaching anybody when, when you're talking about issues like Standing Rock and things that people don't usually know about in the Native community. Like if you are preaching to the choir... Everybody comes already knowing, so of course they're all going to buy your stickers and they all know everything that you're talking about. It's like you're protesting with people who want to protest that same thing. You're not Mm -hmm. actually broadening the audience or like sharing perspectives. And that's what I was really hoping for Indigenous Pop-X. Lee Francis also sold to Meow Wolf, so there's just been a couple other things that I was like, oh, I wish him luck. And he's still doing Indigenous Pop-X in um, Melbourne, Australia. They had their first year, which looked awesome. It was uh, over Thanksgiving weekend, so that was really cool. And then the next one in Albuquerque is going to be in March. And so he's kind of expanding and building on that idea, but it it was always kind of Lee's idea. Mm. So bringing it here to Denver was awesome, and I feel like we got really good roots and we got some good connections from that, but I kind of want to move towards doing another con, so that's my husband and I are planning our own con uh, for next year. Tell us about that. Tell (laughs) us about that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, so it's called Iacon, um, but it builds off of IPX and kind of more on what we were talking about where we want to expand it to everybody. So it is independent-based for independent creators, but how we bridge that heritage culture with our current pop culture and basically how you connect with people through art.
2: Well, I was reading about Indigenous acts, and one of the things that stood out to me that you said was that you did want to complicate the notion of indigenous and say mm-hmm. that it means from the land mm-hmm. and so everyone is indigenous in some concept do you
1: think that this conference this con, will allow you to do that better yeah i think so for whatever reason you know people heard indigenous and they just assumed yeah. that and and then we had this really funny problem where i was like it did kind of the opposite because we'd tell vendors and other artists like to come and apply and they'd be like well i can't participate because i'm not native And we'd be like, no, it's for everybody. And we'd explain that whole thing about what Indigenous means. And then they'd be like, oh, I realized I can participate because I have that one story I wrote when I was 12 that has that token Native character. Oh, no. And then I was like, oh, no, 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 We don't want you appropriating to feel like you need to fit. (laughs) Like like, That's that's exactly
2: the the opposite. opposite. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Exactly. (laughs) Like, that's the opposite of what we were trying to do. We are trying to, like, make it so everybody fits in your own way and you can kind of share your perspective and your heritage because... I mean, a lot of people don't realize that white people have a culture. <laughs> and Shocking, it's not like yeah, it, it, people kind of think that that's where the appropriation comes from, and that's not. I have a lot of really good friends that are very in touch with their Nordic roots, and they bring that into their comics all the time. And I'd love to be able to highlight that even like with Wendy and Richard Pinney, when they bring in ElfQuest, there's more than just like that Native American inspiration. They bring in all kinds of different cultures and it's kind of um, the whole story of ElfQuest is like very close to Wendy because it's her own search for identity. And that's one of the things that we talked about on that panel is being adopted. It was basically how she connected with things and it was her own way of kind of identifying
3: oh that's so interesting i didn't realize that whenever i was reading those comics that there was that backstory but now i'm just like click 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 like all of these like little <laughs> things are happening in my head um yeah elf quest was such a good comic i'm just like now like you just, just want to think reading about back now? through it in my head a little bit and yeah. thinking have of you all read final parts. quest i haven't yet oh gosh okay i won't say anything. yeah don't spoil <laughs> it for me don't spoil it yeah um, what are some of your other favorite comics? What are, what are you reading a lot these days?
1: Uh, um, so I've been reading the Nightmare for Christmas Zero's Journey because I love Nightmare for Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> like, I didn't even know that was happening, but he's the pepper, right? Yep. Aww. Yep. It's, <laughs> it's super cute. Oh, so,
2: LOL. Hero's Journey. Not Uh, the hero's journey. uh, No, Zero. Zero's Zero's journey. journey. Yeah, it's the dog. (laughs) I forgot the dog's name. Okay. I've seen it once because it
1: really scared me when I was young. (laughs) What? Really? (laughs) I'm a weirdo. I can't help it. That's funny. But no, I've been reading that... um, I got super spoiled by my husband for my birthday, so I just got like a huge book of Saga and The Dark Crystal and Monstrous, and I'm trying to get through all of those (laughs) because I love (laughs) reading them, but it's time. So.
3: Yeah, I'm still like two volumes away from the end
1: of Monstrous
3: (gasps) Mm -hmm. that ended like last year, right?
1: I don't know. I actually see I'm like, I think I only (laughs) got about three issues in, but now we have like the big. Hardcovers, which I'm super excited to read, but I just have not had the time to really sit down and do that. Plus, I have a two year old, so you yeah,
3: know. <laughs> yeah, reading makes it makes it harder.
1: Well, and he likes to rip things, uh, so and comic books are <laughs>
2: very easy to keep. No, they're not. Yeah, but, they get ripped really easy.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, he actually, he's like, rip, rip. did he kind of um, dismembered a Sonic? Comic that we got for free comic book day. Yeah. Maybe he was just really mad about the film adaptation that like, looks so <laughs> terrifying. The He's teeth. like, no! no! He hasn't even Human seen teeth. that. No. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm no. making excuses for him. He's a gremlin. <laughs> He's in the back over there. <laughs> what are some
3: of the most difficult things that have surprised you about putting together conventions and doing
1: organizing? Uh, that is a Big loaded question. Yes.
3: <laughs> Without incriminating anybody who <laughs> might happen to hear this,
1: I know, right? Um, I think, Noren. Oh, geez. <laughs> no, no, Norin was amazing. Actually, he, he helped like save me during IPX because that was a lot of it. Ended up being on my shoulders just because of the communication. Sure. I think one of the main things I learned was having a team that's in your city is super important Yeah, because for IPX we were doing a lot of conference calls with Lee but he was in New Mexico and Mm -hmm. so he missed a lot of the important meetings of like doing venue setups and everything and um, you know part of that is just because of the schedule he had because he's doing all kinds of stuff in his community and that's. I think the biggest struggle was really that communication piece. Was sure. trying to make sure everybody was on the same page and really having like a staff that was going to put on the convention. So anybody who's put on conventions and has a staff appreciate your staff. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, they're like, yeah, that they're godsend because that's for IPX. It was mostly like uh, me complaining to my husband and then Noren and then like. <laughs> A lot of it was me running around like a chicken with my head cut off. So. I feel like you're describing like every event I've yeah. ever
3: like had right. any part of putting together. It's always like oh, yeah, I should have, like, communicated a
1: little bit better and or somebody should have communicated with yeah. me a little bit more. Um, and then it was interesting for IPX because we had so much support from the Denver American Indian Commission. Yeah. But the commission can't actually put on events in right. that way. It actually goes against what a city commission does. So they can support and they can create connections and resources, but they can't actually be my staff. Right. So, <laughs> uh,
3: yeah. Yeah. It's what, fun. what were some of the things um, that
1: you have been pleasantly surprised by it? And- uh, I think just the connections that happened. One of the things that was awesome about IPX was there was people talking that I probably never would have met if they didn't kind of talk at IPX. And I made sure that like, my vendors had chances to kind of connect more so than other conventions. I think watching how other conventions are run, there's a lot of like dehumanizing that happens sure. with between guests and between vendors mm-hmm. where it's like an isolation thing. Where like vendors come, they check in, they do their their booth and then they go home. Yeah. They don't actually like talk to other artists or try to support other artists as much right. and there's not very much in convention culture that encourages that right yeah and then it's the same for um the artists and like the guests like when we had uh obar one of the things he said to us when we were uh he said to my husband when they were driving him to the airport was that he liked that we took him out to dinner every night mm. because usually when he goes to conventions people just kind of like, check him into the convention, and then he's on his own. Right, yeah. So that he's completely on his own in a city for whatever he wants to do for dinner, <laughs> and nobody checks in with him or, like, spends time with him. Right. And, uh, like, <laughs> the thing with IPX that cracked me up was even my celebrities. There was actually a day that I lost all my celebrities because <laughs> they just went off and did their own <laughs> thing around the convention. <laughs> so, um, you know, we had somebody escort them over the first day and tried to do it convention-style, And about halfway through that day, they just kind of got up from their tables and just kind of walked around and looked at vendors and just kind of did their own thing. And then the next day, I had um, that same person supposed to bring them over, and then he was like, I don't know where anybody is. (laughs) so I'm on the phone with him like, oh, God, did we lose, like, Eugene Braverock and Irene Bedard? Like, I'm, like, starting to freak out a little bit because he has no idea where they are. And then I look over, and Eugene's just walking across the floor, like, waving to vendors, carrying merchandise. (laughs) like okay I guess they're good and then Irene's wandering around just kind of like saying hi to people I was like okay cool I guess they're good just let them do their thing and um that Eugene and Irene were both super happy because we treated them like people and as celebrities they don't get treated like people anymore oh my
2: gosh yeah I mean I've only gone through like the photo thing once but it's like a what the is happening. The entire oh, yeah. I'm like, wait, who do I look at? What's and I'm not this liberty, but I'm like, I'm very nervous. Alyssa. And like I'm like, what is your life? And they're all messy. They're like, I'm okay. famous. My hair's never been done before. Yeah. And it's like everybody's sweating and there's too much eye contact again. And mm-hmm. that's probably just me actually.
3: I was also thinking about you talking about there being like a barrier between audience and like the tabler, and I was thinking, like, oh, is that true? And I was like, every time I've ever tabled anything, I like treat the table like a literal barrier. <laughs> like I'm just like oh, yeah you will never
1: get past you will yeah. never pass yeah, I mean there's a difference between <laughs> your bubble and like actually being encouraged to talk to people yeah, and totally. I mean artists are you know introverts anyways so if you you give us the excuse to hide away in the dark that's what's gonna happen Sure end up I was like thinking about how we're
3: both like wallflowers and <laughs> actually very quiet and shy um <laughs> <Jake meow. laughs> Is that not what a wallflower says? Her. No, yeah. 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 Basically I'm, a cat. <laughs> I'm like, do you have any pets? <laughs> That's my next question. <laughs> <laughs> like, is that a legit question? No, no. <laughs> I
2: mean, sure, why not? I mean if you want. Uh, so A, I wanna talk about your shawl. Because oh, okay. I can see Hulk. I'm yes. seeing Iron Man. Who
1: else is on there? Oops, as is I- it all the Avengers? <laughs> yeah, actually it's it got oh, Spider Man the Falcon. Falcon, Falcon. Man. <laughs> Magneto. Like, <laughs> one of the Avengers. Colossus. Yeah, well, you know. Do I say Wolverine? Yeah, Wolverine's nice. on next Nights. Yep. Um, nice. If you could
3: have an Avengers team, who would you choose? Oh, good question, <laughs> to oh, be honest. Really? <laughs> I know,
1: sorry. Uh, well, obviously, Wolverine. Um, Wolverine's the leader. Ch- Storm. Captain. Duh. Yep. yep. Uh, I actually did not like Captain America until I saw the movies. Same. I was the same. Yeah. yeah same like, with actually, actually Iron Man and Thor.
2: Yeah. I would agree with all three of those. And I genuinely thought it was a joke when people were like, there's a movie called Captain America. I was like, (laughs) L-O-fucking-L. Like, that can't be real. No
3: one would name a superhero Captain America. Great. What did he do? Love America? I guess we'll just go watch that as a movie. And then I saw it and I was like, this is... This is great. Because if this is what being an American meant, fine. Like, I would be
2: on board with that. But it is not. Because he has yeah, a dazzling
3: smile. Great ass. Yeah, he's just wow. like totally mean, romance I mean, I mean, with uh,
2: <laughs> Winter Soldier. He and Winter
1: Soldier, lovers for life. Bucky. <laughs> oh, Bucky, yes. I always forget his name. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess, yeah, back to... That question, I don't really know. Like, I mean, First, like, the X-Men, to, like I, would, I would choose? The X-Men. I know it's it a hard be question because it's there's like so many depends on which universe of Avengers. Dude, I know. Ooh, yes, I like
2: that. So, what about yeah. like a loser team? So, if you were gonna like make your Doom Patrol or your Agents of Hate, who would be your like losers? You would put on a team together. Oh gosh, that's
1: even worse. <laughs> that's a, I'm like you realize how many characters there are. I'm yeah. like, mm-hmm. I don't usually do the team thing. Yeah. So like, I don't really do the dream team situation very much.
3: You know, us either. We just decided we'd break it out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just We've them. literally never asked anyone those questions. Yeah. We just or ourselves. I mean,
1: superhero dream team, I'd probably have Wolverine, X-23, yes. Storm. Yes. X-23. Approved yeah. Wolverine and yeah. Danny way. Moonstar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Danny. Uh, I'm trying to think. There's like... Uh, pretty much every X Men. <laughs> yeah. yeah, honestly, I love most of the X Men. Nightcrawler is like a given.
3: What was the first X Men comics you remember reading?
1: Uh, the Wolverine one. Oh yeah, like yeah, the, yeah, yeah. You already said that. Uh-huh. <laughs> no worries. I got more into the the cartoon than the comics when I was little, We've and as about I got that. older, I got more into the comics.
3: <laughs> right.
2: We that just, was my entry point to superheroes was well, but well, Linda Carter. <laughs> Love her, Uh, but as Wonder Woman. But all, but really, it was the animated series X Men, Mm -hmm. where like that I can just like think of the entire intro.
1: (laughs) 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 It was (laughs) my ringtone for a
3: while. (laughs) Oh, it's a good. I'm gonna do that later. Stealing that idea. Our sound engineer Kate was talking about how that was one on like her playlist, like walking through like the halls in high school and stuff. Just (laughs) that's (laughs) awesome. <laughs> yeah, sure. That's a different podcast. That's, that's the <laughs> Dinanana podcast. It's
2: hard to spell, but you can find us at dinanana.com.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Jokes. Uh, so, uh, God, why do I always, I'm like, oh, pause, let's make it dark. Uh, but I actually, sorry, I was looking at your art that was commemorative of murdered and missing indigenous women, mm-hmm. and I was wondering if you would just talk a little bit about the art you created and whatever else you'd like to share about that.
1: Yeah, uh, well, the that particular piece, which I should have just worn that, I have that scarf, by the way, I made that into a scarf, which yeah, I'm selling right now. So I should just learn that. But that's okay. This is superhero talk. Yeah. <laughs> the um, the image actually started out. Uh, I did it back in 2012 the first time, and the image that's on the scarf now is actually a revisit. But the first image I had done because um, I was dealing with the stuff from my family and like my brother and everybody kind of enabling his drug habit and not really acknowledging it. And so it turned into kind of a combined piece where I saw a lot of parallels between how communities deal with news like that or like with issues. So people weren't talking about it, hearing it or seeing it. And that's why they, there's the handprints. It's Everybody was turning a blind eye to with my brother and then I was noticing that was happening with the missing and murdered indigenous women. And now, thankfully, there's so many artists that are starting to do awareness pieces so now i feel like it's a topic that you know people bring up but now we need kind of the follow-up like the action because a lot of the times people are doing artwork and people are talking about it but there's still no nothing being done for those statistics from um i think it was from 2007 to now there's 2400 cases that are completely unsolved and the particular um government agency that was supposed to be handling this just kind of like dropped the ball. They, they have no information whatsoever on 2,400 disappearances and uh, murders. And there's nothing being done to really follow up on that. So thankfully with like the bill happening and with people are starting to actually try and do things, um, the average age for women to go missing is uh, 29 to 30. So it's like right in my age. And uh, a lot of the people who have gone missing are young mothers, they're they're like left behind their families, their sisters, aunties. Um, it's pretty much 18 through 29. And so it's right in that like college age. Yeah. And so um, with the scarves, I'm actually hoping to kind of partner with a community organizations or somebody who we can kind of use the proceeds from the scarves to do something. I'm not entirely sure what that's going to look like yet. Yeah. Is Thankfully, when I, put the, uh, when I put it up online and asked for all these organizations, I got like 40. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I need to go through and figure out where the best place would be, but I'm happy that I had that many, because if it was the opposite where I didn't have anything, I'd probably be like way more doom and gloom right now. <laughs> I'd sure. be like, oh my God, people suck. But
3: Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, people do suck, but you know,
1: <laughs> they're also
2: okay sometimes. So. Yeah.
3: <laughs> but, yeah. Are there uh, any organizations that you know of that can be supported easily that like you have interacted with or anything that are
1: doing things about this? Uh, There's a couple that help with the families that are left behind, like the kids. I don't entirely remember their names sure, right yeah. off the bat, but um, yeah, they, they're super good ones because you can donate and you can help with like the um, toddlers and younger kids who have been left behind. So yeah, I'll have to, send you guys those yeah. <laughs> right we'll now I'm like tweet them out we'll bring our, our website cannot remember yeah. what the no
2: organizations are called we are literally putting you in the spotlight so <laughs> no it's okay to forget things <laughs> so who are like some of your favorite bitches from comics
1: I don't really like that's an interesting question because <laughs> I'm like bitch in my brain equivalents to female dog oh, so sure. not okay. necessarily like woman okay <laughs> <So>. fair fair <laughs> All right. I mean, favorite female characters? I could go on for a bit. I actually really do love Gamora. Gamora is awesome. Yeah. And um, like I mentioned, Danny Moonstar. I've always loved her character Echo from Daredevil. Mm, mm -hmm. Um, Danny Moonstar I actually really like because it shows evolution Mm because she started out super stereotypical (laughs) with fringe and talking to animals and bow and arrows and yeah but then she evolved to being a Valkyrie to being like the head of shield the weapon specialist like I really like to use her as an example of how things can change and grow Right. I, uh, first started reading, obviously, like I read a lot of New Mutants
3: growing up and Danny Moonstar, even in that book to me, stands out so much because even those first storylines, it's like Professor Xavier manipulates everybody and like, there's like the brood and all of this stuff's going on, but Danny Moonstar is the one who can see through it. Mm -hmm. And to me that like, you know, there's, there's things whenever I read back today where you're kind of like, yeah, it's like not too chill that this like talking to animals thing is kind of weird, but like, uh, but whenever i was reading it in the moment i always like looked up to her because she was like the co-leader with cannonball too mm-hmm. and i think like that time you had storm as like the leader of x-men and danny moonstar was like co-leader of new yeah. mutants and i loved to watch her because she was this character who held so much responsibility over every decision that she made mm-hmm. so there's this moment where everybody is at the massachusetts academy with emma frost and she's like what's going on and she just has to get out of there and she just bounces and then she spends like the entire next issue you just see her just like I never should have left my team and just having this, like, huge, huge problem with it and then holding herself accountable to that. Mm -hmm. And that was around the time that she started taking on, like, Valkyrie stuff. Like, she got, like, her cool horse, Brightwind, and, like, Mm -hmm. all of that stuff. Like, all of that story arc, I always look back at it as just being... um, Danny was just, like, the best New Mm -hmm. Mutant, kind of. Like, they're all really good characters, but I loved her the best. She was really fun. And she's the one who's going to, like... I always thought, like, she would be the next leader of X-Men, right? Yeah, they kind of set her up that way, too. Like, it starts to feel that way. She's very Cyclops-esque in a
1: way, but in, like, the good... (laughs) In the the good way, yeah. In the good way. I've never cared much for Cyclops. Sure. I mean, how could you? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) My, My husband's working on that. He's kind of changed my mind on a few things. It's true. Yeah.
3: The like Cyclops people, they get to you. It happened to me too. It happened to me too.
1: People were like, he's
3: like not a jerk. You could like Cyclops. And I'm
2: like The only Cyclops I like is the Cyclops who's in a relationship with both Wolverine and Grey. I mean That thruple okay, I'm in. I actually don't know about that. It's it's like very
3: new House of X now, so you have like this scene of, like, Wolverine standing between, like, Jean and Cyclops, and they're all having, like, drinks and stuff, and everybody on the internet, of course, like, saw this one shot and was just like, well, they're all in a couple now, and everything's, they're all hanging out. It's great. Now they also have these, like, one-liners between, like, Jean and Emma sometimes where people are just like, they're dating.
1: Oh, my gosh. I'm like, well... Well, they I mean, are,
3: in it, my head. But so
2: I, I saw a tweet. I can't remember the the person who tweeted it out, but someone was a comics creator who was saying, he literally just got a direction from the company that was like, oh no no, these two characters because they're the same gender, you can't make it explicit. But you can imply whatever you want. So I take that as permission to just hear everything I read <laughs> gay, gay, bisexual, trans, queer, all of them, and it's just like,
3: okay, now I like comics better. It's true. <laughs> yeah, they're a lot more fun that way. I saw a very compelling argument that uh, Emma Frost is trans, and I will never see the character of this, you know, like I know, I'm right? like that's how it is now I I, I I remember when I heard that,
2: I didn't even like need to read Emma again. I just like thought yeah. about her and I was like
3: everything makes sense it's great
1: yeah and I like her even more now (laughs) I'm like huh (laughs) I feel like that's been happening to me a lot lately in terms of x-men somebody um I did a talk on dissecting superheroes uh on the 2nd of December yeah uh but somebody brought up the parallels between um Professor X and Magneto and Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. And my brain was just totally like, <laughs> <laughs> like oh my God, now I'm like seeing that. That's really interesting. Right. So. And like how that was
3: written by people um, who like were totally like white dudes, right? So you yeah. had like them being like, well, this is like what I think that, you know, Malcolm X would say.
1: And then here's what I think that like, yeah. yeah. But also, I mean, in, in the time the X-Men came out, there's yeah. no way you could have those two characters be actually people of color and have people read it and be as attached to X-Men as it is right and And it was was,
3: totally a hundred percent like 1963 1964 Mm -hmm. like the exact time of like civil rights explosion and yeah it's interesting to think about how that's kind of changed over time Mm -hmm. do you uh, do you think that there is more room for that conversation between those two characters to go on yeah I think so
1: yeah Uh, yeah like I mean with X-Men, you could do, like, honestly, you could do, like, multiple panels dissecting X-Men. Because yes. it's essentially, like, <laughs> so much in there in terms of social justice and support rights. And you're yeah, like, oh, they're just like, all gay. Great. And they are like, wait, <laughs> oh, they're all a metaphor for racism. Oh, okay. And then they're all, you know, it's like you could apply almost anything to yeah, them. They're all over the place. Um, but I actually, I'd love to, like, look more into that and kind of, like, dissect it a little more because... The, they, the person who brought this up brought it up as a question at the very end of the panel <laughs> so I was like, or of the presentation so I was like oh my gosh now I'm going to go home like thinking all this <laughs> stuff and like making parallels it's kind of funny but I definitely want to look more into it and kind of learn more about that because mm-hmm. I'm also curious if that was intentional because of yeah. the time that it came out
3: Mm-hmm. I think I remember reading something that Stan Lee said that was, like, along those lines, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. So, okay, not a team, but if you could take any character from anything, any comic, any, any existing property, and take them in a direction that you think is either better or more interesting or just new, who would you do and where would you take them?
1: Uh, I'm, I've always loved x twenty three. So she's like the best. Yeah, she's been one of the characters that I loved like the most, especially just because of her resiliency. Yeah. But, um, you know, also like when I started reading her was right around high school and I actually was a cutter for a bit there because of some of the stuff that happened with my brother and seeing a superhero cut themselves and actually deal with a lot of the same things that I was dealing with was super like important to me. Because right. then I was like, this is, this is like a superhero, you know, and these, these are the characters you're supposed to look up to that are like, they're supposed to be tough no matter what. But then seeing a character that was tough deal with like internal pain and like expressing it physically was really interesting to me. And if I were to kind of take her in a different direction, I think I'd like to go away from the new Wolverine because... Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of the way Marvel and DC kind of recolors characters mm-hmm. and like, I love that she's kind of followed the legacy of Wolverine, but at the same time, it's a way to hold on to that copyright, you know, mm-hmm. it's a way to just kind of keep us liking Wolverine instead yep. of developing X-23 further and having her be her own character that we can like and latch onto. Totally. And that's, I mean, that's That whole talk I had this past uh, week about dissecting superheroes was about that, about how our superheroes are actually, they maintain the status quo. And a lot of the times they're actually like, they solve a lot of problems without people actually having to solve those problems. Right. when When you have Iron Man who's like, obviously he does all the tech and everything and he saves the world with his tech and then suddenly you have, um, Robert Downey Jr., who's saying he's going to ch- solve climate change, can't talk. Solve climate change by doing some universal tech, and suddenly he becomes Tony Stark. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so now people are thinking that they don't have to work as hard at climate change because Tony Stark's going to save the world. Exactly. Right. And th- you see that kind of play out on film and in comics a lot, and it's, it's kind of their way of putting a bandaid on things. Like, we need more diversity in comics. Okay, Superman is now Asian. But he's still Superman, but right. he's Asian. So you got your Asian superhero for and like then, a year. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the and same, it's like, as much as I love Miles, they did the mm-hmm. same thing with Spider Man. It's like, we need more black and Hispanic superheroes. Okay, we made Miles Morales, but he's still Spider Man. So they didn't, they did it without actually doing it. Mm. That makes sense. Right. I really love that point. You know, it's not, I, I hadn't
2: really thought about that. I mean, you know, I've been thinking a little bit about, or a lot about, how the Avengers films have set up exactly what you're saying. Like, they they make us want to look for an Elon Musk to save us. Mm -hmm. Like, we just got to find the right good guy
3: in tech. He's going to be the one. And it's like, no! And they're like, shooting rockets into space and doing like weird things. Yeah, you're actually fucking up our ability
2: to track whether or not we're going to get hit by a meteor.
3: Thanks, Elon! Great work! Nice work, Iron Man. (laughs) Um, I wanted to go back, actually. uh, You were talking about Laura Kinney and something that I think was really interesting about kind of what you were talking about and what I've noticed about that character and kind of what I think the storyline that they were pushing with her was for a minute was I thought with Wolverine, there's always that, like, he's such a badass and, like, he gets, like, rolled and destroyed and, like, all of this, and he always bounces, like, right back up from it. And I think that's something that they really started to delve into more with Laura was her capacity to still feel pain. Mm -hmm, and the fact that she was also throwing her body into harm because that was what she felt was her job always. Like, Mm -hmm. she was the person who was supposed to fix this situation by just being wild and, like, doing the Wolverine thing and, like, "Ah," punch a sentinel in the (laughs) face and, like... Punch a helicopter in the face, like all of that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Punch a helicopter in the face. <laughs> take it out. And doesn't well, he do she, she does actually take out a great white shark in one. <laughs> <And> well, sharks <laughs> just come up again and we again love in this podcast. Sharks, I swear to God, they are all over comics. Mira throws
2: a uh, shark at someone, America Chavez throws a shark at someone. It's like, these are the things we
3: live for.
1: There's, There's a, women a land fighting shark in Deadpool and oh my God.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> Ridiculous.
3: Um, yeah, I was just wondering, uh, I guess I, I, that was part of Laura's personality that really clicked with me in a lot of ways where I was thinking of how when you take uh, a lot of responsibility on whenever you're, you know, maybe like a little bit too young to take that level of responsibility on, you start to find these ways of just kind of putting your body into situations and being like, I'm here physically, you know, and this is, like, my job to be here. And, like, I, I don't know. I was just thinking about that and just wondering if, like, that had anything to do with, like, how you,
1: like, relate to the character. Yeah. I mean, like, I that's one of the things that I loved about her is that she still had that capacity to feel pain. Right. And what I liked about it was that they showed her being vulnerable but being strong in the next panel. You know, like, she actually was allowed to process her vulnerability and then kind of rise up and be the tough superhero but it, throughout most of her story arcs like she's thrown into situations that are common for a lot of girls especially right. like girls in the world today it's like those situations seeing them actually play out and seeing her conquer them and actually like get heal from them and move on to the next thing i think was super important and then when they kind of did the whole new Wolverine story arc they still kind of touch on that with her character now that she has, like, her little sister to raise. Like, I yeah. love Honey Vetter. but oh, Of course. Oh, um, cute. They kind of... They changed her character a bit. She's more Wolverine than she is Laura Kinney. Right. And that kind of bugs me. Like, I would love to see more about... Of Laura. Like, actually, Laura's story. And not so much revisiting Wolverine and kind of yeah. replaying that.
2: Well, and, and and like you were saying, turning her into like this masculine thing that mm-hmm. she doesn't have to be, right? Like she doesn't have to be what Wolverine was to be a valid hero mm-hmm. or to be someone we look up to. And I think that's the same thing. I, I mean, I'm just piecing this together as we talk, but like like you were saying with Miles, is like Miles is so influenced by Peter. I mean, even look at Into the Spider-Verse mm-hmm. and, and you have to wonder like, oh, what could Miles be if Miles didn't have to be Spider-Man? Exactly. Like Miles could be such an incredible hero in his own right.
3: hmm
2: Yeah. Hmm. I'm gonna be thinking about this for like the rest of my life took you down the rabbit hole sorry yeah no I love it please um you know I was also on your website I was looking at your portraiture your your drawings of celebs and I just love them I mean Jason Momoa my god (laughs) you should go look at it folks quite the portrait um and I'm just curious like how do you decide who you're drawing
1: where do you get your inspiration for those from uh, I've always loved drawing people, actually. Like portraits are kind of my like, de-stress and stop thinking about stuff, because being an artist, you know, it's, it has the capacity to be very rewarding, and then it also has the capacity to be very soul-crushing <laughs> when you deal with certain clients. And when you're doing graphic design and like late paychecks and all of the crazy stuff that comes with being an artist. So portraits, I've always been able to just kind of lose myself in like drawing people. Um, A lot of the portraits I did actually are people who passed away. Mm. So I have Leia on there and Alan Rickman. I do have a Bowie that I have not finished, which I need to finish. But um, Yeah, your Leia, I just was like, oh, it's so
2: emotionally evocative. Like you can tell you were really connected to her when you were drawing it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it feels good, you know, because I feel like Leia is... Yes, she is everyone's because, but really, she's ours, right? Like y'all got your fucking Luke Skywalker, and goddamn Han Solo, and I get General goddamn Organa. Okay, like I'm pretty happy about it. When people were like, "She shouldn't have been able to move through space like that," I was like, well, "You shouldn't be able to be near me because I'm going to beat you down." Because of course, she, of course, she has the Force, right? Of course, she has the Force. Thank you. It's in her family, right? But oh, we can all do whatever we want whenever we want but a a woman using the phone? (laughs) (laughs) That is basically all the commentary on Star Wars. (laughs) Right. (laughs) God. Okay, Osterize can stay though. You know, he can stay. I love that he he's is currently, work, like, yeah. every panel he's on, they're like, oh, so what's up with, like, Finn and and He's Poe. Like, they
3: and should he's have like, been boyfriends. boyfriends. <laughs> they should have been boyfriends. They're in bed together.
1: <laughs> like, yes! Actually, it's funny that you say that, because that, that scene where Rose kisses, like, Finn, I felt skeezed out. I was like, sexual harassment? She broke the bubble. <laughs> like, it just... <laughs> it like freaked me out because i saw no chemistry right. between them whatsoever no. and that's like i don't know that's like a little mini pet peeve of mine when people just randomly kiss people i'm right. like there's a bubble there. there there you have to like feel that out you can't just like rush in and kiss somebody yeah I like i that mean that can't be how things bless <laughs> <Yeah>. rose tico <laughs>
2: love rose don't yeah. get us
1: wrong but like yeah, it's that, interesting because that couple—I don't really. No, I'm not I didn't here for see it. it. Yeah, I didn't see it throughout the movie, and then when, like, seriously, when she kissed him, it like really weirded me out. <laughs> but um, I think if in the next one, if it turned out that he didn't like her, I think that would actually be a better story arc yeah. than if he suddenly was like, "Oh, I loved you the whole time. You just didn't see it." Trying to like, like couple everyone off, like
2: that's yeah. one of pet peeves too, where they're like at the end of, God, I'm sorry, we're going to just talk about Voyager. At the end of Voyager, like after they've, yep, Kate's paying attention now. um, After like making it clear that there is nothing, you know, Chakotay has a thing for Janeway and then, you know, we all think that Seven of Nine and Janeway have a thing and I'm sorry if this is too obscure for everyone, get over it. Um, But then at the end, they're like, ah, Chakotay and Seven of Nine, we're always in love. And like, Even Jerry Ryan was like, what the fuck? Like, you told me literally not to play this like we were in love, and then you just shoehorned it in at the end. just makes me want to punch somebody. It's, like, (laughs) awful. They did that in The Magicians recently with, like, ugh, I can't even get into that.
0: Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. shopify.com/realm
3: <laughs> I can't even That's like um, every Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn story where they're just like they're gay and having a good time. Yeah. <laughs> just like wait, what did you wait, Did wait, you are mean they, Are they
2: Did they But are they? So not, but are they? That's how I feel reading all of that. It was uh, a uh, yeah. Gay <laughs> Headcanon, Gay. Yeah. That's why we have fanfic. <laughs> yes. Hallelujah.
3: Archive of our own. Um,
2: <laughs> it, I don't even know what the website
3: is. Archive of our own. dot com. Um, dot org. dot org. <laughs> dot gov.
1: <laughs> dot <laughs> nz. Gov, wow. <laughs>
2: it's actually just based in New Zealand. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow. But uh, actually, the portrait question, Jason Momoa and The Rock, was just because I wanted to draw them. Yeah. (laughs) So
2: pretty. Like, I look at The Rock, and I'm like, sometimes I'm mad about your politics, but I'm never mad about your body. (laughs) Don't have it in me. And then I got Jason Momoa, and I'm like, I'm happy about your politics and happy about your body. So, win-win. I don't know. This is what I do. I research you and then think...
1: Things about your portraits, right? Yeah, no, <laughs> creepy. Nope. Most of the most of the portraits were because I just liked the way people looked, or because it was a tribute to them passing away. Actually, the first portrait I ever did was Mister Miyagi, and that actually was the first drawing I ever sold. I was thirteen, and I did a Mister Miyagi, and it was in a, a like. A, sorry, I just got distracted because my two year old's right there. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. The um it was in a coffee shop and somebody walked in and he saw the drawing and he was actually friends with Pat Marita. and it was right after he had died. And Aww. so he was like, Oh, I, can I buy that? And I was like, no, <laughs> I was like really proud of it. And it was like my first portrait really. And he was like, he had to like fight me for it. And, was, and then he was like, well, like I knew him and it would really mean a lot. I was like, fine, fine, fine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, All right it will it'll serve you better so he bought it but it was pretty funny because I was like clutching to that yeah. thing I was like no I loved Pat Marita, I don't want to give it away
2: interesting business model uh, you can't have my art I was 13 I love it I'm not critiquing it I think it's brilliant I wish I'd known you at 13 that sounds adorable
1: I was like, everything else was actually for sale except for that one thing. Not so that's Mr. Why Miyagi. Was, yeah, yeah, I know. Well, especially because like Mr. Miyagi totally reminds me of my dad. Like Aww. my dad is just this little Buddha guy, so he's, like he's been called Yoda and Mr. <laughs> Miyagi. So yeah, I was like, nope, I don't want to sell it. But I ended up selling it to him. So I was like, you're lucky you knew him because if you didn't know him, I probably would have sold it. <laughs> it would be hanging over your bed to this day. <laughs> right. No, definitely in the portfolio just because I was so happy with it. Yeah, uh, I love it.
3: I love it. What, um, have conventions changed a lot since you first started being involved in
1: organizing? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a lot. Um, I would like to see more of a push towards independent creators. Yeah. It's also what we kind of mentioned just with the rehashing superheroes it's very rare that you actually have that highlight on independent creators right definitely and then um just in the convention scene it's so much fan art and so many pinups and like while that is awesome and there's this weird little gray copyright area for (laughs) convention artists there's um there's not as much push for artists to actually do things that make their own name Right, they're constantly kind of doing the fan art thing, and that eventually is like gonna run out, and then they don't have a way of kind of making their name or their art because their niche is the fan art,
3: right? And that's
1: um, I think that's something I'd like to see more push and more encouragement towards creators to actually do their own thing like whatever that is and even if it is where they want to draw for the big companies like that they're actually doing more than just conventions to get into those drawing for the big companies and the art walls sorry minor mini rant the art (laughs) walls drive me a little crazy yeah (laughs) just because the When most conventions have that standard of eight feet tall and like Denver Pop Culture Con does not hold that at all. There's a lot of times where those (laughs) art walls are like nine, ten feet tall and they end up blocking people. And so then they block the, like, independents that are actually trying to get their characters out there.
3: Right, yeah, I was thinking about that, uh, that I've tabled at comic conventions before, and generally what the deal is, is you are surrounded by people who are selling, like, t-shirts and fan art, Mm -hmm. and so, like, you're the one comics person (laughs) in, like, a very long row of, like, people selling t-shirts, and... Mm it just seems like a weird thing to experience
1: at a comic convention, I guess. Like, yeah, I mean, like, I love the merch, obviously. Yeah. I'm a fan, so oh yeah, of course, I love being able to see other people's renditions of like their favorite characters and totally. everything, yeah. But that's the like, I think there's that weird little area where where's the line that you draw, where like, here's a really cool rendition of Steven Universe. And then here's also my other stuff. So you can kind of use that Steven Universe as like the eye grab, but then you can sell your own stories or something like that. But when, then there's all the artists who are amazing artists, like they're really super skilled. I'd love to see them do things that are their own. Right, I was thinking too in zine fest, they
3: had to adopt a rule that was only, it was like 80% has to be zines at your table or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know why people did that for a long time and then I went to one where it wasn't like that and I was like, oh, because people are selling like glittery t-shirts on either side of me and I like didn't sell a single zine like the whole time I was there or something. Yeah. So yeah, um, maybe they'd have to adopt something like that going
1: forward. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, I know Pop Culture Con's gotten a little bit better about wanting to have more diversity besides just the fan art. Sure. Um, and then I think there's, there's just, like, a thin line there that you have to figure out, because, like I mentioned, those fan art artists are amazing. Right. They are yeah. super talented, so they shouldn't be discredited as artists. Of course. But I'd love for them to be encouraged to do something more than just the fan art.
3: hmm Definitely.
2: Well it feels uh, I'm seeing parallels So tell me if I'm Way off base But between The way that some Comic artists End up really just doing Marvel or DC's work Or maybe Dynamite but we love dynamite, so I'm not talking shit. <laughs> um, but you know, they really—that's what they end up doing. Instead of, and and then they end up putting their own creative work on the back burner, on the back burner, on the back burner, and then just don't get to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's incredible that people like Vita Ayala are like finding that balance right. and creating a remarkable amount of independent work that is high profile. I mean, she's or they're doing James Bond, you know, coming mm-hmm. up, which is pretty incredible. But at the same time, it's it's not the norm. You know, I'm not seeing yeah. that for most people who are writing and illustrating comics mm-hmm. so i think it's a really good point i think we there is space i mean i want to read more independent stories we're constantly trying to find more and more independent comics to like read so if you're listening or if you're in the audience and <laughs> and you have an independent comic like send it to us like we want to read it we want to review it we want to
3: help you find your audience we talk about the, them on the show too so yeah. whenever we find new ones yes <laughs> yes well, and exciting. I feel like
1: most of, um, like, I mean, if you look like Sana Takata, like she started out as X-23, you know, drawing for that, but now she's got Monstrous. Right. And it's, when you see creators do that, there's so much more that can be said in independent comics. And that's actually, that's actually their perspective. That's actually something that's coming from their heart. That's their story. So it actually broadens the world a little bit more. When you end up working for Marvel and DC, you're very stuck to their agenda. And it's kind of the same thing in terms of Comic-Cons when you're doing art for, like, the fan art and everything. You're actually stuck to what the popular culture likes. You're not actually having that freedom to be able to express yourself as an artist in some ways because there are, like, the nudity things and some of the stuff that might say something to you as an artist, you can't actually express it because you're like, okay, I'm... I'm the pinup artist, so therefore I have to have pinups of all of Marvel and DC. And that's the only thing that you end up showing. Mm -hmm. You don't actually showcase the stuff that might have come from your heart or your soul. It's just like the things that you hide away and you draw in your room instead of actually being able to have an audience for that and possibly being able to touch other people in that way. Totally. And so let's look at the other half of that, the consumer. Like, What would you tell people is the best way to then support people doing their independent work as well? Uh, I honestly I think people know what they like and just because it's not specifically Steven Universe doesn't mean that you can't not like it it's there's styles that look very similar to Steven Universe and it's kind of that being an open mind like if you love Steven Universe and you see somebody whose art is super similar why not look into their independent artwork and their independent story because it could be very similar to Steven Universe. And then it's just it's a branch off story that you get to learn more of, and then that can be your new fandom. Doesn't mean it replaces Steven Universe, it's just another story that you fall in love with. Totally.
2: I, I love when I find a comic that's like an independent comic that maybe other people aren't reading. Or, and this is like a terrible example. I'm like blanking on ones that actually no one's heard of, but I remember going from Kelly Pseudoconics' Captain Marvel to Bitch Planet. And I was like, oh, okay, (laughs) now we're talking. You know, where she's like, oh, well, shit, I don't have to do what Marvel says anymore. Let's make everyone fat and black and Asian and awesome and bitchy and, like, great, let's go with it. And that really, for me, helped me start to see, like, oh, my gosh, of course. Of course there's limitations when you're in this hyper-commercial setting versus Mm
1: -hmm. a more independent setting. Well, and then also, like... The, I mean, comics and art in general is really a reflection of your time. So it's really a reflection of the things that are going on to you personally, but also the things that you're dealing with in your world. And when you're working for a giant corporation, a.k.a. Disney, (laughs) you end up in that situation where your perspective doesn't matter the what everybody in the consumer is saying that they need then that that's what's going to matter i mean it's like them taking the ancient one and turning her into a white woman because Perfect. you know china like that's they're like no we have we're selling to them so we have to cater to them we can't actually show a character and be true to that character's origin because we have to make money. Well, and I think the
2: other way I've heard it described is, yes, that's one directionality. And the other direction to think about is the people who are in charge of these companies are racist, are homophobic, are classist, are sexist, the list goes on, so then they can justify themselves with the market and say, no, oh my God, we could never acknowledge that Elsa might be gay. We can imply, we could never, oh my God, Elsa can't be gay, it's frozen, because no one will watch it in China. And it's like, okay, but you're also an asshole.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, that. And that's, I mean... I've been noticing patterns with that with the Disney remakes and how they're putting diversity in, but they're putting diversity in in a way that erases history, yeah. which I'm really not okay with because it just, you can't erase history, you grow from it. <laughs> and like the new Lady and the Tramp, That so, my husband hated it because he <laughs> loves Lady and the Tramp and it was pretty bad. If, if they had retold Lady and the Tramp in modern day, it actually would have been way better. But because they tried to retell it back in Victorian times, oh, God. Oh. they did that, but they made Darling a black woman and then they made her family like black and high society Victorian New York. So it was kind of like that's not, like interracial couple in Victorian New York. No, that would not have happened. Like, and they had like one a really nice house and everything and then her like aunt Sarah is like this super Victorian lady like they're big money. I was like, that's not like in our history that's not something that would have been okay. there there's a lot of struggle that people went through in that time period that you need to acknowledge yeah. because it happened. Yeah. It and, seems like some
2: sometimes what we take as a a request for representation, people are like, oh, I'll just paint rainbows and Skittles. Like, this will be fine. And I think an amazing counterexample, which the rights of which are problematic and we can talk about, mostly Sarah can talk about, (laughs) um, is Watchmen. The the new Watchmen (laughs) is grappling with race in a way that the world of Watchmen wouldn't, Mm -hmm. under Alan Moore's control. I love you, Alan Moore. Don't be mad at me. Um, (laughs) And... But but it, it really is taking it seriously and saying, like, what would it mean if a superhero won the Vietnam War? It would mean something. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't just be like, oh, check, history, moving on, you know? Yeah. And, and, and then to say, like, what would it be like to have superheroes who don't look like the people are supposed to, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I think there are better ways to grapple with these issues. Mm-hmm. And we just, we're, and that's an alternate history. You know, like, that's not yeah. saying that things are going to be exactly like they are now, but the parallels are what make it so potent, or mm-hmm. what make it when you watch Regina King fight racists, you're like, fuck, that's just like our world, <laughs> only slightly different, but also terrifying. And that's, I think that that deals with the problems that we have versus occluding them.
1: Yeah, and it's the Band-Aid, because it's mm. like, see, we have, we have... Diversity and (laughs) black representation in a big Disney movie, but we just, you know, negated the fact that in history this would not have happened. And Disney has a habit of doing that, where they're like, yeah, we were super crazy racist because Disney was super crazy racist and that he's a product of his time. And, I mean, Donald Duck wore a swastika and (laughs) fought as a Nazi. Like, those are things that happened that I feel like need to be acknowledged because where they are now... It shows growth. It's not right. a, we've always been, you know, happy, perfect little Disney, and we didn't actually need to grow from any struggles. We're, we're perfect. Like. The,
2: the WB has started running before some of their old cartoons. I don't know if you've seen this. A disclaimer that says, these are these a representation of the time. There are mm-hmm. going to be things in here that are not okay yeah. by our standards today. And I, I, you know, part of me is just like, also like, stop playing that fucking cartoon. <laughs> like, maybe we could just make new cartoons. I don't know. <laughs> Um, but also I was like, well, I, I, you know, that's an effort. But what do you think of that?
1: I actually like, I like the idea of being acknowledging it, but making new cartoons. Mm. Like, I don't think you should erase it or revisit it, essentially, because mm. it's it happened. That's part of the history. It's part of where you got to where you are now. Um, and... I don't like the racing things. So like, I like the disclaimer of this is a reflection of the times. So yeah, there's things that are not okay here. Check out this new thing that we're doing. And then you can go and look at the new thing. That's like way, way better. Yeah. And it's also like, just, fucking hire creators who are people of
2: color. Mm-hmm. Like, we we actually know how to make this better. Like, again, <laughs> just gonna come back to it because I've been watching it a lot lately. Watchmen, like, when you have a writer's room that is diverse, you're gonna have better results mm-hmm. in, in terms of racism in particular and, then I mean, storytelling in general. Yeah. And I think that that's just really disappointing that we can't Like, I feel like half of us get it, and then half of us are like, but I don't understand why. Like, why does it matter what someone's race is? And it's like, (laughs) I don't know. Why does it matter? You're racist. (laughs) Like,
1: that's why. The racism is why. (laughs) Well, and it's perspective. I mean, you can tell somebody's story, but it's really not your perspective. You're... You're, either way, you're going to put your own perspective on that story. Oh, yeah. And that's, I mean, with my comic, Kaui, it's a Hawaiian comic. So I had to send it off to like Oahu and get a bunch of people to weigh in on it. Because the first time I released it, it wasn't on par with being culturally responsive. And now that we're re-releasing it, I have Hawaiian artists and I've had people look at the story, but I still acknowledge that that story came from me. Like it is inspired by and it brings in a lot of cultural references of Hawaiian mythology and particularly the their story of Beauty and the Beast of like the goddess Pele and um, Pua but like it's it comes from me it's not from a Hawaiian person so if a Hawaiian person were to tell that story it would be very different in the voice that they use and even though I've had people look over it and they like it and they love it it's it's a story of something that I fell in love with told from my perspective. And I think that's really the most important thing is to acknowledge that you may love something, but it is always going to be your perspective. The only way you're gonna get the perspective of that community is to have that community tell that story. Right.
3: Totally. It's a, I, <laughs> no, I was, <laughs> I was like, we have so many questions. <laughs> I was just thinking about that because uh, you see that a lot with like uh, queer representation. You'll see like you know the straight guy who is writing and doing the whole series or something, and it's always like, I it, just speaking as a lesbian, I just don't know <laughs> if this is something that I would say or if anybody I've ever met would say <laughs> or if you've ever met a lesbian. <laughs> So,
2: Oh, my God. I read a a novel that I will name, The Magicians, and he literally (laughs) describes Alice's breasts as heavy like 13 times. And I was like, I would like you to come in person, sir, and describe to me what a heavy breast is. Because I've touched a lot of breasts, including my own. That's heavy I wouldn't use Okay, heavy in that way I don't think he meant it that way, Sarah I'm not gonna give him that credit Whoa Um, yeah, Jesus Also, stop describing women's breasts
3: Fuck, man Do you not see anything else about a woman? Well, it's just like you're thinking that like You go through life just thinking about that all of the time or something Like, I wonder what's going on with my boobs right now (laughs) It's like I'm just looking in the mirror and noticing and like. Oh my god, like all those those like jokes about uh, like if men described you, like how would they describe right. you? Right. Good stuff. Twitter. Yeah. Not it's Twitter. always like if if women lived like that, or if people who have breasts lived like that, would they would always be thinking about their breasts? Which yeah, is right. like, not really how it works in life.
2: I'm like, I forget I have them the whole like, time.
3: It was like just think about like whatever other body part. Like if you were just thinking about your feet all the time, like Ooh, my, oh, my, elbow my nubile is heavy. foot. <laughs> nubile foot.
2: Oh. Nubile foot. Joss Whedon would love that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, good
3: God. Okay. <laughs> Pull it together. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think we're at about time, but I wanted to talk um, maybe just about what you have going forward because we're like right into that new year. So what's
1: going to be happening in 2020 for you? Uh, well, we're working on Iacon. Yeah. And getting Cowie out there, which has yes. been interesting because it's 100 pages. So it's been yeah. We've had printing issues and overseas printing issues Ugh. and all of that fun stuff. So that's definitely on the top of the list. Mm-hmm. But um, mostly just getting my scarves out there and connected and then getting Cowie out there and working on Iacon and kind of developing how we can kind of change our business. Uh, we had a couple changes in our um, Our staff recently, so now we're just trying to figure out what our next direction is because I've always wanted, um, Aya Studios is my company with my husband, by the way. We do publishing and all kinds of other stuff, but I've always looked at it as I wanted it to be a resource for artists. So even though we do publishing, um, I wanted it to be more of a kickstart for independent artists. So we'll publish you, but then we don't own you that is the thing with a lot of publishing companies. Once you're published, you're owned by them. And I don't like the idea of owning people. Right. And so we were looking at it as more of a kickstart and more of an education follow-up. So not being the company that owns you, but the company that educates you against being owned <laughs> and uh, following up with different classes. We've done a couple classes on reservations having to do with uh, how you tell your story and like, really getting your voice out there. And then this summer, I actually have a class on um, getting kids to go beyond the pages of a comic book. So once they create their character, how do you implement that change in reality outside of the actual comic book? I
3: love how every time it's like, people are like, oh, well, I just have. And then it's like, every person we ever (laughs) interview has 7,000 things going on. And then they're like, and plus I'm I'm a mom, and plus... I'm just changing the face of comics. It's no <laughs> big
2: deal. It's just my thing. Amazing. Um, let us know if there's everything anything we can do to support or if we can share, uh, you know, if you have things coming out. That's what we're about. We want to create a community here. That's a point of Bitches on Comics to us is to create a community of people who've got each other's backs. Um, we really appreciate your time. I think we're done. Yeah. No? Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Oh, yes. Thank you guys for having me. Please follow us on Twitter, on Instagram. We're at Bitches on Comics. Um, If you have extra bones you want to throw our way, we are on Patreon, patreon.com
3: backslash Bitches on Comics. We have all kinds of cool stuff on there where you get extra long episodes. We do reading lists. We do where we get drunk and talk about comics.